This message was recorded live at Plantation Seventh-day Adventist Church in Plantation, Florida. Welcome to PlantationSDA.tv. Here you will find a diverse variety of Bible-based topics and conversations. God's master plan to inspire your mind, bring peace to your heart, and uplift your soul. May you be blessed and encouraged as you listen to God's Word. Good afternoon, church family. Before I begin this, um, Deb and Dion and Pat, they have no idea that this is about to happen. So I would like to invite the women's ministries team up here. I think we're missing two, Dion and... Oh, no, Sharita's there. Dion and Vicky. I know. On behalf of the Florida Conference Women's Ministries Department, it is such a joy for me to come into churches that have very active women's ministries programs because I also come into churches that are still starting off and, and don't know the ropes. And so to come into days where they have been so beautifully planned, it is such a blessing for me. On the behalf of the Florida Conference, I'd like to call up my junior men's ministry staff to come and gift you. Yeah, that's good. We have gifted this in every church um, to all your to, to all the teams that are there, and we also do one more thing: a prayer of anointing. Do I have any elders here who could join me up front? I know I have one or two, and as they make their way up here, or he makes his way, up, and Pastor Kevin too, you can join me up here as well, or any pastors here that are able to help lay hands. Um, also, while we wait, I would like to gift our guests who played. I remember this so uh, vividly last year. And um, I remember the pause in the service. And you know, she was, our pianist was in such she was in pain, but she was laughing while she was on the floor. And we have one more, right? Who paid the violin? Who paid the violin? Okay, yes. And so I would like you to give her a round of applause for coming and returning and doing the work of God. If my elders would gather around the women and place your hand upon them. And church family, you can, you can participate too by raising your hand and pointing it forward to them. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is, Father, for me to recognize this group of women who work so tirelessly for you on behalf of your daughters, Father. Lord, we know that ministering in any capacity is never easy, but you have called 
and anointed and positioned each of these ladies with their specific gifts and talents, Father, in order to set them out and minister to our ladies here, Father, and in effect, their children and their husbands. And so, Father, I ask for your Holy Spirit anointing to, anointing to rain down upon them, Lord. Bless them in every aspect that you have called them to serve in, Father. May you bless their hands and their feet, Lord, as they serve you with all their heart, Father. God, I thank you for their willingness to serve you in this time, Lord, what a privilege it is to be called to service, Lord, during the closing pages of Earth's history, Lord, to partner with you in this time, God, to hasten your coming. And so, Father, may your anointing be upon them as they continue to do your work. In your name we pray, and the church said, amen. Uh, we usually do a whole business. Huh? Thank you, Pastor Jeff. You know, you can't get rid of me that easily. You can't even transfer me. You can't transfer me out on the same day that I come to preach for you. That's why I was heavily objecting back there, but then again, unless I transfer out, then I can't enter my new church family. But as always, and as I have always said, it is so, so wonderful to, to come home. And my kids say, you know, they always ask me every Sabbath, where are we going to today? Where are we going to today? And for the past six weeks, it's been here down south. Um, and you know, the car rides are, oh, this is so long. But then this one, they, were, they, they fell asleep. We left early in the morning. They fell asleep, and then they're like, oh, it was, like, it was just like 30 minutes, right, Mom? I'm like, mm, no, not quite. But they're so, so happy to be here, and we are so happy to be a part of you. And just because you all do it better, just because you all do it better, and I hope you all didn't forget, how to do it, because it's super easy, right? I'm going to say, Aloha. Aloha. Still better. I think I got you well trained. Let us pray, Father God. What a privilege it is to be home, Lord, and with your fam and my family, God. And so I ask that today, right now that you anoint my lips, Lord, and may I glorify you. May you be heard. In your name we pray, amen. I'm gonna take you straight to Jeremiah 18. Jeremiah 18. And it says here, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. And then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. 
And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. And so he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. Just so that you know, the way of making pottery is back then in, in biblical times, it wasn't beautiful clay that you can go buy from Hobby Lobby today that you can just break open a, a block of clay and start molding it. This is where the potter had to go down to where the rock and clay was and dig it out using the tools that he had. And even then, the clay had bits and pieces of other types of earth in it, and so he had to crush it up and put it through a sifting, something like a colander in which all the loose pebbles and things that weren't supposed to be in there were able to, to come out, and still then it wasn't enough, and, and they had to now wash it down. Then he had to go into his house and spread all this uh, on a rock and begin to, to beat it out. And as, as the crumbles of clay now began to make a paste and now began to form something that looked like clay. And then began the, the beating process of beating out the clay to make it smooth. There could be no bubble in the clay because if there was one bubble, once it got on the wheel, that one bubble would mar the finished product. And so it would be beaten out and then thrown onto a wheel that doesn't look like any of the wheels that we have today, but it was placed on two spinning discs, the larger being the disc on top, and the bottom wheel was the one that was kicked by the potter as the wheel spun. And then he began to mold the vessel that was in his mind. And as he molds, he spins and he feels. And as you hear in this passage, he felt a little, mm, something's wrong there. Something's wrong with that piece of clay. And he took it out. But instead of throwing it away, instead of throwing it away, he put it aside to rework it and make it into another purposeful thing for him. See, this is what we are to God, none of us is wasted. He already had a plan when he saw us first, before we were even born, and he saw us in the womb, and he was already forming us, and he knew where we would be at each moment of our lives. He had a plan, he has a plan, and I don't know where you may be in your journey and in his plan right now, but you may feel possibly a little pressed. You might feel that your journey is more rockier than normal. You may be feeling that why do I always tread this journey and I always get trampled underfoot, but let me tell you that even a trampling can be, can be trampled on and risen up for God's glory. So if you're going through a divorce, good, good, because you're going to see how God is going to work 
If you're going through financial hardship, good, because God has riches waiting to unveil to you that you would never have imagined. If you're going through a cancer, a physical ailment, good, because you are going to see how God is going to heal you physically and spiritually because everything that we go through is not wasted on God. We need the pressing. We need the crushing in order to see how he is going to work next. Because without crushing, without trials, and if life will always be easy peasy, then why are we living? If we have nothing to challenge us, nothing to testify of, then life, we're just going to be stagnant. We're going to stay in the box that we have put ourselves in. We're never going to break out of the box. God always has something better. So quickly, I'm going to go through with you women of the Bible who have been pressed and elevated. And I know you see my graphic that I made, and I'm just going to give a shout out to Lyndon and Nikki, or Lyndon first, who at the very beginning of my ministry was like, you need graphics, and I'll just tell you how to make them, but I'm not going to make it for you. <laughs> so I think I have graduated over five years, and, um, and I'm trying to copy Nikki's magic, but that's never going to happen. Nikki will always be... Um, wizardry at, uh, at graphics. So, but I made this graphic. I'm not wanting you to look at the rose. The rose is beautiful and pink and perfect, but what is happening to it? It's what? It's being trampled on. And you're thinking, that's not right. It's a beautiful rose. Why is it being trampled on? But let me tell you something. To become even greater, to become perfume, flowers must be crushed. To become bread, wheat must be crushed. To become wine, grapes must be crushed. In order to find our true potential, we must be pressed. And so I'll bring it to the women in the genealogy of Jesus. And I know I've preached sermons on them before, so I'm going to try to go quick. Tamar. Tamar, even though she quote-unquote tricked her father-in-law into sleeping with her in order to get the bloodline, the story behind there was her father-in-law wasn't going to give the third brother. Son number one did not, did not have any sons with Tamar. He was killed. He died. Son number two emitted his seed on the ground. He died. And so now the bloodline still had to be continued. So son number three was promised. But because he didn't want another son to die, he kept this son from marrying Tamar and so effectively stopped the bloodline. And she knew that she needed the lineage in order to continue. And so by right and by law, she enacted the leveret marriage in which, so, you know, if, she, if one brother is married and dies and the next brother gets to go and marry and um, try to procreate and then the next brother, but that had all been in the lineup and it wasn't happening. So guess whose turn it was? Judah. 
And so, yes, she did trick him. It was a righteous trickery, and he acknowledged that it was. But if she hadn't done it, then the, then the bloodline would have stopped. So Tamar's elevation was the fact that she continued the bloodline that was promised to come from Abraham. And then we have Rahab, who was a... I don't know, no one likes to say this in church. I'm not sure why. Rahab was a... She was a harlot. But can God use broken people? Yes, he can. And so there she was, a harlot in her house, which is situated on the walls of Jericho. And they know that the armies are coming. And two spies end up at her doorstep, and she gives them safe passage. She, she hides them, and the king's guards come and say, are, your, are the spies here? We need, to, we need to grab a hold of them. And she just kind of lies, I don't know. No, they, they are not here. But because she knew that she, that, that the prophecy of God was about to come through, because she knew that something had to happen, she decided to also risk her life to hide these spies. And so she did. And you know the story goes that the spies went out her window and she pleaded with them, when you come, save my family. And they told her, hang a rope in your window. Make sure all your family is in the house with you. And when we come, we will spare your family. And you remember, they walked around the walls of Jericho how many times? Seven times they walked around the walls of Jericho and the trumpets blasted. And all of a sudden, the walls began to topple and crumble into smithereens. And as the dust cleared, the only house that was standing was Rahab's. Later on, she went on to marry one of the princes of Israel. And before I say who she elevated with and begot, I'm going to go to Ruth, who we know her story. She was a Moabitess. She married into Elimelech's clan. Their husband, her husband died. Her brother-in-law died. Her father-in-law died. They had no children. There was nothing that was going to come of Elimelech's and Naomi's legacy. And she was given the option by Naomi to go back to her people. Her sister, Orpah, went back. Her sister-in-law went back. But what did Ruth say? Under, after being under the tutelage for all these years and watching how Naomi also had a relationship with God, what did she say? Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. They move on into Bethlehem and Naomi's still looking for someone to redeem and inherit her land. And in comes the kinsman, kinsman redeemer for Ruth that marries her. And who is it? Who is it? It is Boaz, who is whose son? Who is Rahab's son? Rahab went off and married one of the princes of Israel. She elevated up 
See, Tamar found her elevation. Rahab found her elevation after all the help that she had given to the spies. She became an ancestor to Jesus Christ. And then her son now marries Ruth. And together, they also become ancestors to Jesus Christ. Ruth elevated up. And then we come to the last person, not including Mary. We come to the last person in the lineage of Jesus. Who is it? Anyone know? Bathsheba. So now I struggled to find where Bathsheba's elevation was. Because in her story with David, David, she says just two words, three words in that chapter. I am with, four words, child. But let's not mince words here. We all know what David did. And I cannot handle when, when people try to paint David in the beautiful light, but we all know what happened. He took a day off from war. He went walking around his building. He saw Bathsheba bathing. No, she did not set herself up to bathe in the sight of the king. She was cleansing herself from her monthly menses using the Levitical laws of cleansing, and it was David who was walking around and catches sight of her. He sees her beauty. He inquires who she was, and even after finding out that she was married to one of his bodyguards, he sent for her. So do you see the uh, verbiage and verbs that come from here? He looked, he saw, he inquired, he took. Bathsheba had no part in all of this. If she were to try to, 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 what's my word? To resist. You can't resist the king or you, you die. And she sends him those words, I am pregnant. So after, then he kills off her husband. After trying to get him drunk and pass off the baby as his, and you don't think you hear from Bathsheba again. So I was struggling with this. Like how was Bathsheba elevated? But then I read on, and I'll tell you in 2 Kings. First Kings, I always say second. First Kings 2.19. See, somewhere in their story, David had promised that he would give his son Solomon the crown. But now the crown was being threatened by another son, Adonijah. And so we read here, Bathsheba therefore went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed down to her. Let me just slow down here. The king rose up to meet her. He bowed down to her. He sat down on his throne. He had a throne set for the king's mother and sat her on his right-hand side. What is the right-hand side of a king? Power. The right-hand side of the king is boldness, is action. 
The right hand side of a king is elevation. The right hand side of a king shows that you have a relationship. And so when I look at this, and she sat at his right hand, you know, down through the generations after this dynasty monarchy, there was always then a queen mother who would sit next to the king on the throne. And I find it beautiful how now the roles have been switched. What a different reception she was given by a king versus her first initial meeting with King David. The posturing was different. The roles were different. Now, seated at the right-hand side of her son, she was even higher than David himself. See, God saw her brokenness. We can say in this, God may have seen the abuse that had come at the beginning between her and David. You don't know. It doesn't say I don't like how Hollywood tries to romanticize this story. But she may have had to wake up next to a man whom she hated because she still longed for Uriah. We don't know. But in all this, God still saw, he remembered Bathsheba, and he elevated her even after her brokenness. See, sometimes we are pressed before we are elevated. Sometimes we have to go through such severe crushing in order to now walk into the elevation of Jesus Christ. There's no one better that knows this than Jesus himself. And I'll take you across the Kidron Valley to Gethsemane. And it always says that Jesus loved to go talk in the shade of the olive tree and this particular olive grove was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in Matthew 26, 24, no, 26, 42, we have Jesus who is there. And he's saying, Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, then your will be done. Have you said this to Jesus? God, I don't care. Your will be done. But in the process, how many cups have you had to drink? How many bitter cups have you had to drink? How much bigger have those cups had to be swallowed, knowing that God was going to guide you through this? For first-time visitors, I know the rest of the church knows, but I've drunk many cups. And the church knows how in the last two years I've had death of my sister and my father, my mother has faced can breast cancer. 
My husband has faced many diabetic difficulties in which twice he almost lost his feet. We've gone through COVID, and every single time I drank a cup, I would tell God, this is not my will. I don't want this to happen. I hate this cup. Can I throw this cup away? But God, through this crushing, not your will, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. And in I, and down the cup went into my throat. See, but God does not allow you to pass through a trial until he, without you knowing that he is walking in it with you. After Jesus was baptized, an angel took him into the wilderness to tempt him, to watch him be tempted and to walk alongside him. I don't know what your journey may be, but Jesus knew it best as he was the one who struggled with the weight of the world, as he was the one who said, Abba, Father, this cup is too big. Father, I know that we, we made up a plan. I know that this was the plan that we were going to do, but my heart hurts. Father, I can't do this. He was very honest with his dad. Daddy, this hurts. However, if I must drink it, your will be done. And in John 17, 35, Sorry, yeah, 17, 1 to 5, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this eternal life that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on this earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Can we not tell our Father as we are walking through these trials, Father, I don't know how I'm going to walk through this particular trial. I don't know how I'm going to walk through this divorce. I don't know how I'm going to walk through this path with my addicted child. I don't know how I'm going to speak to this other child who is suicidal. I don't know how I'm going to make it with my bank account with negative dollars. But God, walk with me. And in this walking, let me glorify you because you are going to work, and I know you're going to work. Can we not tell our Father that? See, we must take the pressing that comes with elevation. When we think about the olive tree, I think about how non-coincidental it was that Jesus sought solace under, under an olive tree. Because of the meaning and the, what the olive tree represents, you know that if you were to go up to an olive tree and pick an olive and pop it into your mouth, it tastes very, Pastor Mike, what was the verb you said this morning? Disgusting. 
He said it was disgusting. This olive is bitter. You can't just eat an olive. So what has to happen with an olive is it is picked and then it is processed, it is washed, it is salted. Sometimes for a time it may be cured. And then after that, it is pressed for the thing that is the most essential part of the olive, which is the oil. It is pressed for its oil. And when you think about the picture of Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane being pressed before he was elevated to Jesus, we know that with Christ as our human example, we can be pressed as we wait for our elevation in him. There's a song that I always hear. What if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of this life are your blessings in disguise? What if they are? What if they are the specific blessings that keep you at the feet of Jesus? What if this is where when you have nothing left to cling on to when every dream that you have had and you've worked for and invested your money in has now blown up in smoke and you have nothing left, this is when you're going to have the most is when you are at the feet of Jesus waiting for him to restore you and he will restore you. Every tear that you have cried is not wasted on the Lord. He sees it, he's cried with you, and then he's going to give you back ten times more. When we think of grapes and how wine is made, wine is made because straightforward, the grapes first need crushing just to burst out of their skins. And so when there is this mush of grapes and skin, and there's a little juice that's there, that is called the wine must. But it's not wine yet, because then this wine must must sit and ferment for five to seven days. And then after that fermentation, then this wine must is pressed again and all the rest of the solids are taken out and what it is now is wine. The wine which is beautiful and robust. See, but this is what Jesus does. He presses us and he changes us through these trials and journey that, journeys that we are going through as we are discovering who Jesus is to us as he presses us, as we are reveling in his miracles and his resources and, provide, and, and how he provides, let me take you to Ephesians 4.22. Because after this grape, these grapes are pressed and it is wine, are they, are they grapes anymore? No. 
They have turned into a new thing. So when your journeys press you, guess what? You're no longer in Jesus who you were. You have been turned into a new thing. He's waiting to reveal the new you. Not only to you, but to the world around you. Your circle of influence. And so it says in Ephesians 4.22, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. When you come through the pressing, you are a new person. Through each journey that you travel through, you elevate over and over, next step and next step. Why? Because you see the goodness of God. Because you see him move in ways that he has never moved before. And you say, aha, I see why, God, you've taken me from there to here. And then after this, he asks you to take these and to use it to comfort other people. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 4, It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. So, folks, we don't now then keep this elevation to ourselves. We pass it on to the next person so they can also be elevated in Christ. Because when they are pressed and they see how they're coming out into a new person, they can say, I know the Jesus in whom you serve. But then the question becomes, can you trust him to do this for you? Do you know that when eagles mate, when they look for their mate, eagles are sitting atop very high treetops. And in the mating season, then, what the eagles will do is they'll fly and they'll lock talons together high up in the sky. They'll lock talons together and then they'll engage in a free fall, a free fall spiral. They call it the death spiral, where their talons are locked together and they are just plummeting to the earth. The trick to this is to let go before you hit the earth, to let go and fly off. Now, if one lets go, let's, let's go, let, if one lets go of the other before the dive is almost complete, is telling, telling the other eagle, I am not strong enough to partner with you and rear the young. But if they make it almost to the ground and burst back apart and repeat this cycle over and over, they are making a bond that will then turn them into mates for life. Can you lock talons with Jesus and trust him as you are going down in your downward spiral? 
Can you trust him as you're being pressed and you can see nothing that's going to help you and you see the ground rising towards you? Can you trust him to help pull you up to keep from crashing? Can you trust him that even if you do crash, and sometimes you will crash, that he's going to bandage you right back up and elevate you once more? See, this is the elevation of Jesus Christ. Do you trust him to fly with you and enter into this spiral with you? In Isaiah 40, 31, we know this verse well. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall, they shall walk and not faint. See, before elevation, some things will happen. Before you can truly realize the power that God has. And I know that I've told you a lot of stories and you go, wow, Pastor Jim, but you know, things keep happening. And the last time that I was here, I remember I told you the story of us being, coming down the turnpike and being in an accident in which we hit four times the side of the turnpike and it was only by the grace of God that he saved us from that. But I didn't tell you everything. Why? Because of my pride. But before that, when I accepted this role as Women's Ministries Director for the Florida Conference, I, I did tell you that once we left, we began traveling every Sabbath to preach at different places. But it's also when you accept the call of God that Satan's going to hit you like nothing else. And it was a couple months after we left here, we left plantation, probably about May or June time, that the rats came. For a while, Maybe for a couple months I, heard, I had heard some skitterings in my ceiling, but I had taken that to be just some big geckos that we have seen every so often. Until one day this summer, one of my children screamed. And it was because a rat had come out from beneath the microwave, or from, beneath, from the vent beneath the microwave. And when I say rat, I don't mean a cute little mouse. I mean a rat that's the size of this. Did you know that if a rat can stick its head out of a one-inch hole, then his whole body can come out? And so my child was screaming, there's a rat mouse something. And I got a glimpse of it before it escaped back into its hole. And then the whole family came down. And you know what? You can't catch these things. They are smarter than you think. 
Peanut butter doesn't work. Cheese is a lie when it comes to movies. <laughs> we tried different things, popcorn. We even tried a couple of vegetables. Nothing. And we set out traps, those glue traps that were like this big. And one night, as we were, as, <laughs> as I was just going a little crazy because I couldn't catch these things, then I heard it screaming. I was talking to my mother, and lo and behold, there's this rat that's that size, actually a little longer than the trap. And I was stuck, and it was screaming at me, and my mother was like, I had told her about the rats, and she's like, Jennifer, go kill it! How? She's like, smash it. How? I don't want to touch that thing. And she was egging me on. So there, and Normando was asleep. And there I went. I threw a can of corn at it. <laughs> I didn't want to touch it. And she's like, is it dead? I'm like, no. She's like, I still hear it whimpering. Go kill it. Fin yes, finish the job. I go, how? She's like, Go take a hammer. <laughs> I didn't want to take the hammer, so I had a bottle of bleach, and I was, I don't know, I was like trying to make it whiter. I have no idea. I was squishing at it. She's like, don't do that, kill it. So I threw a bag over it, and I found, I just, just like, threw a trash bag over it, and I found a hammer, and I just. <laughs> yes, yes, oh, it is very disgusting. And so then I put the rat, oh, and I thought that was it, okay? I thought that was it. And then the rest of them came. And I tell you, and I'm not joking, you can confirm with my children, do you know that rats talk to each other? Like they'll fight over whatever, food, whatever, and they're like, ah, and they will talk to each other in their rat language, and they'll drive me crazy. And so, you know, when this was happening, we prayed, we tried everything. And this is what Satan does when you are in ministry for Jesus. Because if you cannot be taken down in one way, and he cannot kill you on the turnpike with another, He's going to keep, he's going to now enter, enter mental warfare with you. And I remember just being traumatized by these little varmints. And so we got into this car accident. And I called Elder Dion because I was just so, I, I had nothing, I had nothing, I was spent. First I called Pastor Mike. And he prayed over me and he encouraged me. And then I called Elder Dion and she told me, Pastor Jen, do you believe in the power of God? Do you understand what's going on here? I'm like, no, this is why I'm talking to you because I just don't get it. And you know the trouble that we've had the last two years. And she said, I get it completely. It's because you've been anointed by God to go and free his women from north to south. And Satan doesn't like it. And now he's trying to take you out. He couldn't take you out last night. So I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to give you, I'm going to send my warrior angel to your house 
to cover your house. Pastor Jen, what else can I pray for? Jesus is like speaking to me. I am not going to tell Elder Dion that I have rats in my house. <laughs> what, what women's ministry leader wants the world to know that her house has rats in it? Why? Because rats are filthy. But Satan uses filth to get you down. To make you believe you are worthless to ask for help. Satan uses uncleanliness and yuck to tell you that you are not set for this job, that you are not right for this anointing. And so it just came out. She's like, Pastor Jen, what else can I pray for? Can you pray for the rats? And she's like, I'm sorry, what? Can you pray for the rats? And she's like, you want me to pray for rats? I said, no, the rats that have invaded my house. And I sobbed on that phone and told her about the rats. And then she said, do you believe that the God who saved you last night can also obliterate the rats that are in your house. And I said, well, I've been working with them for like three months now. I'm like, Wah. yes. Pastor Jen, do you believe that a miracle can happen for you? Yes. Yes, I believe. We're going to pray, Pastor Jen, and it's going to happen. So we prayed. And then sure enough, a few hours later, that night, I'm lying in bed and I hear them start squawking. Two something in the morning and I had it. And I ripped open a new trap, traps, plural, and I set them down in the name of Jesus. I believe that you will die. <laughs> Jesus, I believe. I, Jesus, and I'm telling you. Jesus, I believe that you can work a miracle. If you saved my family, then you can take this away. 20 minutes later, the mother of all rats that was like a half-size extra from this landed on a trap, screaming. And I got it, and, I ki and Armando killed it. And then I put it into a Ziploc bag to show my children what Jesus can do. Because at first, you know, they're, they're, they're kids who don't want to hurt anything. So when they saw these rats and stuff, they're like, Mommy, do we have to kill them? Because they're God's pets too. Yes. Yes. God says to kill these ones. But then I saved it, and when they woke up, and I said, look, and like, oh, my goodness, is that the mother or the father? I don't know, but kids, we're going to pray that God is going to take care of these rats. And so now I have my children on board praying for the killing of the rats. And over the next two and a half months, we caught, like, 
right under 20 of those. Yes. Babies included. Babies included. And let me tell you something. So you're, you're thinking now, why don't you ask your landlord? But I went to the contract, and it said, tenant responsible for rodent extermination. So they knew. We didn't know. We found out. And I had no money to tent the house, so I had to rely on the might of Jesus Christ. But this was teaching me a lesson that how much more, yes, I felt pressed. Yes, I felt Satan chipping away at my mental status. Yes, I felt like I was going crazy. Yes, every, every like, wind that passed by, I thought a rat ran with it. I, I was going nuts. But then God taught me that more was to come. No, not, no it's not bad. That I had to trust because the next assignment was going to be harder. We had our women's convention for the Southern Union. And Florida Conference's job, my job, was to take care of the baptism and evangelism for that weekend. And I felt that it was going to be, you know, not difficult to do because we had already done baptisms at every retreat that we have been a part of. So prior to my appointment into the women's ministry position, I was on the executive team for the conference for the last five years. So every single retreat that we have had with the conference, there have been baptisms. In fact, five years ago, with my first baptismal foray with the conference, I helped to baptize 85 women. And so for this, for this assignment, it felt it was going to be easy, right up the alley because we knew that there were women who were gonna come ready to be baptized, and so that weekend came, and I made call after call, hey ladies, baptism is gonna happen on Sabbath. Come meet me here so we can discuss and you know, find out your name and get to know you, and every call I made, nobody came up until the call before the baptism lunch, right before lunch, before the baptism, and one woman showed up and proudly said, this is my name and I want to be baptized. And so I was like, sure, let's wait for everybody else. And it was just this one woman. And so I took her name and I'm going to be honest with you, I felt a little disappointment because I was not used to just one. And so my team wasn't used to one either. So when they met me at lunch, they said, all right, Pastor Jen, we got 75 Bibles or 50 Bibles ready. We got 50 bags ready. How many women we got? And I said, with a big smile on my face, trying to hide my disappointment, I said, what? And there were one. We've never only baptized one. And I said, we are going to make this baptism the most special baptism that this woman will have. Because even when there's one, God is there. And so we went. And my trepidation was the fact that it was such a long way to walk. And I'm thinking, are how many of the 700 group of women are going to come and be with this one sister. But when I got there, what alerted me that God was going to do something different was the fact that all 400 chairs were already filled with women. 
waiting to see and be a part of the celebration. And so we had, we started the, we started the program and had testimony, and I baptized this woman. And then the Holy Spirit said, I want you to stand here and keep on calling. Just keep on calling. And I'm thinking, Lord, but only one gave me her name. But I kept on calling. And then a young woman stood up. And then another mother stood up. For two and a half hours, I called. And at the end of that two and a half hours, eight women came to be baptized. And this is what happens when you not rely on yourself, but you rely on the power and the might of the Holy Spirit and God and what they can do. And the next morning or that night I was called and, and was told there was one more woman that wants to be baptized, but she was too scared to come up today. And so she wants to get baptized. Can you baptize her tomorrow? I said, the pool has already been emptied, but if she's willing to be baptized in the hotel pool, then we can do it. And this young woman drove like crazy to get back to the retreat and made it just in time before the retreat ended so that she could be baptized. And when I look at this and I realize the ordeal and the pressing that I had to go through prior to this to be sure that I knew that there was a God who would come through no matter all the obstacles that Satan threw my way, that there was a God that no matter the pressing, that he was still going to work his miracles if I allowed him to work. And I thought, Lord, if you spared my life for these nine women, and if you made me believe that you could obliterate the rats for these nine women so I would just stay put in the water, then my work, if I died tomorrow, my work would have been worth it for you. See, we're pressed on all sides, but like that verse says, we are crushed, we are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. I'd like to end with this, it goes, your calling is going to crush you. If you are called to mend the brokenhearted, you are going to wrestle with brokenheartedness. If you are called to prophesy, you are going to struggle to control your mouth. If you are called to lay hands, you will battle spiritual viruses. If you are called to preach and to teach the gospel, you will be sifted for the wisdom that anoints your message. If you are called to empower, your self-esteem will be attacked. Your successes will be hard fought and dragged through the mud of gossip. Your, day, your things will be highlighted all over and your flaws will be introspected. Your calling will come with thorns and cups and sifting that is necessary for your mantle to be distilled, authentic, humble, and powerful. Your crushing won't be easy because the oil that comes is not cheap. Let me repeat that. Your crushing won't be easy 
because your oil is not cheap. When you are pressed, the spiritual oil will come forth from you. And it will spill over and touch the lives of those in your circle of influence. And it wasn't cheap because you had to go through it, but it was necessary so that God could be glorified. Can you believe what a special person you are that Satan will keep on coming after you, but it was a king who laid down his life for you? I end with Philippians 4.1. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Elevation is, is not about elevating our job, elevating our position, elevating our name. Elevation is about opening up our hearts and opening up our mouths and elevating Jesus Christ. Because when we elevate Jesus Christ, we too will be elevated spiritually. He will take us through mountains and valleys. But you will be lifted up and you will be drawn closer to Jesus Christ. You will become the change agent that the, world's need, that the world needs. You will become the giant slayer for him. You will become the one that is going to light the path for those behind you. You are the one that's going to elevate Jesus. So press on, my brothers and sisters. Allow the trials to press you so that you can burst out of your box and say praise God for who he is because he be glorified through you. everyone to please stand. We praise God for this women's ministry Sabbath where we were reminded of so many truths. We were reminded that we have a name. We were reminded that God gives us a name. We were reminded that even when life tramples us down, even when life tries to step on us by God's grace, God will take that and he will elevate us and he'll turn it around. Amen. And so the very final song that we are going to sing is entitled, I Know Who I Am. So if you know, we just want you to sing along. We're going to call the women's ministry team to just come on up here and join us because this is their jam. This is their annual song. Come on, women's ministry team. We know who we are and we know whose we are. We are a chosen, we are a chosen generation. Was called for to show his excellence. All I require for life, all I require for life, God has given me. I know who I am. Let's try that again. We are a chosen, we are a chosen generation. We're called for to show His excellence. All I require, all I require for life, God has given me. I know who I am. I know who God says I am. What He says I am. Where He says I'm at, I know who I am. I know who God says I am. What He says I am. Where he says I'm at, cause I know who I am. I know who God says I am. I know who God says I am. Where he says I am, cause I know who I am. I know who God says I am. Where he says I am, cause I know who I am. I know who God says I am. Where he says I am, cause I know who I am. I know who
We are your children. We know who we are in you, Father. Princes and princesses of the King, accessible to all great things because you are our Abba, Father, Daddy, and Lord. Now we bring everything to you, Father. All our crushing, all our pressing, Lord, our feet are weary, our bodies are tired. We need energy from you, and so we bring it and we lay it at your feet, trusting God, trusting that you have a way, trusting, Lord, that this pressing has a purpose, Father, trusting, God, that you have a plan that is going to work far greater than we can ever imagine because you love us. And so, Father, we thank you. We praise you. We re-gift our lives back to you, Father. And we wait in expectation for the miracles that you will work out on our behalf. And so we testify now and give a hallelujah ahead of time, Father, for your goodness and mercy shall run after us all the days of our life. In your name, amen. This podcast was brought to you by Plantation Seventh-day Adventist Church, a Christ-centered congregation dedicated to spreading the good news of God's love through sermons, deeper dive conversations, and much more. If you would like to listen to more life lessons and inspirational content, please visit us at plantationsda.tv.